Um, yeah, so this next month we're going to be talking about race and recreation. Um, and as Eric said, it's a very applicable topic in our community. I mean, if you even just look in here, um, you see people that came from a bunch of different backgrounds. Um, you know, resourced, unre- under-resourced, white, black. Um, in Detroit, it's usually talked about as a white, black issue, but I realize that there are other races. And <laughs> um, so, but this talk will, will mostly be talking in terms of resourced and under-resourced and black and white. There's Bibles in the back. Um, if you need one, um, which is if you didn't bring one, um, <laughs> you should raise your hand and get one. Um, I will also want to say that there's, I typed up notes for this. It's not going to be exactly word for word. Um, and it has actually a lot more in it than I'll go into today. And you can get that in the back at the end. Um, so I encourage you to not take notes um, unless you have to. Um, and, you know, pick up the notes afterwards and read through them at, at your leisure. All right, so if we could, I guess I'm responsible for the slides, aren't I? Let's see. There we go. Um, so today we're going to be talking about the price of unity. Um, as Christians, we're called, you know, to unity because the Trinity has unity, and we bear God's image by being one in Christ. Um, but unity comes at a cost, um, and it's the same cost, I think, as the rest of being a Christian. It comes with a cross, and that cross is daily dying to ourselves. Um, and a total disregard for society's pressures. Um, so, very quickly, we're going to be... So, th- we're going to race through this. We don't have a whole lot of time. It's a big issue. You know, we're going to discuss the problem of racism. We're going to look at Colossians 3, verses 5 through 17. Um, kind of as... It's like a Christianity 101. It's basic Christianity. This is something that every Christian is called to. Um, which is putting to death your old self. Bearing God's image being one in Christ, forgiving as Christ forgave, and letting the word dwell richly. And we're going to use that in talking about that context of racism. Um, and then I'm going to leave you with some application and a, a vision for the 48214, which if you hear us keep saying that, that is the, that's the zip code where we are right now. Um, okay, yeah. Um, so is there still a race problem? And I bet if we went around the room, we'd have a lot of disagreement about this. Maybe less so here than, than in other places, but, um, but traditionally, white evangelicals and black evangelicals are as far apart as it gets on the answer to this question as anyone. Non-evangelical whites and non-evangelical blacks actually are much closer when they answer this question than evangelical whites and evangelical blacks. Um, so, is there still a race problem? Um, we're talking about it because we think there is. Um, and so we'll just assume that there is for now. <laughs> um, okay, that's supposed to have some arrows on it. All right, imagine that with arrows. Um, and so basically we're talking about two cycles. The, the cycle on the left has you know, arrows going down from the top box to the bottom box and another one going from the bottom box to the top box. It's a cycle. The other one's a cycle, too. It has the same type of thing going on. It looks really cool back on that screen. Um, and basically, my argument, and the argument, I'm gonna, I stole a lot of this from this book called Divided by Faith um, by 
Emerson and Smith. I'd encourage you to read it, um, especially if you come from a resource background. But, uh, so basically, we're operating in two different cycles. Um, there's resource people who are, in general, white um, or non-black. And we start life with ample access to resources and stable environments, um, which leads to educational opportunities and higher-paying jobs, which then leads to our kids having ample access to resources and stable environments. Um, and there's pressures from both outside and within that cycle to keep us there. Um, and then there's, an, there's this other cycle, the under-resourced cycle. And these people grow up with limited access to resources and stable environments, which leads to lower-paying jobs and dependence on welfare, um, which cycles back into limited access to resources. Um, and again, there's pressures from outside this circle and from inside this circle cycle to, talk, to, to keep people there. Um, and actually, David's going to be talking about that cycle um, next week, mostly. He doesn't have to use a cycle. Um, but, uh, and, but I'm going to be mostly focusing on the resource cycle today. Um, and so for, re- for people that grew up in the resource cycle, you know, we say that there may be a race problem. We see that there's you know, a tremendous amount of opportunities out there. We have a tremendous amount of opportunities, so we assume other people do too. Um, so we say that, well, it's a motivation issue. Like, you know, there's, you know, there's scholarships available for, um, for minority students. They could seek them out. There's, you know, various programs that are in place to help people that are under-resourced, you know, achieve educational and ec- economic stuff. Um, so we say, well, people just don't have motivation. And then we drive around a neighborhood like this, and we see lots of, like, 20-something guys sitting on the porch, you know, smoking weed or drinking beer, and we're like, see, told you, no motivation. Um, that guy can work, but he's not working. Um, and <clears throat> we also say that, you know, if we just made people Christians, then we'd stop hating each other, um, which, which, you know, is, I think if people are becoming Christians and growing in that, that, that has some truth to it. But the problem is we're we're comfortable with just stopping at conversion. We don't really go deeper than that. Um, and so we're like, okay, they said the Lord's Prayer. We're good with that. We don't have to call them out on their hatred, on their malice, on their greed, because um, they know Christ now. Um, our outage is that we don't see that we grew up with some built-in advantages. Um, and I say we because I grew up without having, with all my needs being met. We didn't have a ton of stuff, but we had everything I needed. Um, and, I, you know, I, growing up, didn't, didn't realize that I had a lot of advantages over other people. It wasn't until I, you know, visited Cincinnati and saw the, <laughs> you know, just saw the devastation um, that seems like it belongs in a foreign country, but, it, you know, it's here in the U.S., and we see that in Detroit. Um, and... You know, honestly, status quo is good for us. We can sit in that cycle all day long. It's comfortable. You know, we have nice houses. Um, you know, we can go on vacations. Like, for us to really consider changing the situation, it's going to cost us something. So, you know, we kind of set it to the side. Um, and we focus on other parts of Christianity that are more comfortable for us. Um, and so the, there's another under-resourced cycle, and I'm going to go through this really fast, but... So the proposed solution 
um, for under-resourced people, in talking with my neighbors, and you know, in reading surveys that were done in this book, yeah, there like there is a sense that yes, there is a motivation issue. Some people just aren't motivated, and they ought to be. There's op- there's some opportunities, um, but there's also this idea of like this need for systemic change. Um, it's much easier when you come from an under-resourced background to realize that the playing field isn't fair. Um, you know, you, you see that every day. You've worked hard, and you've, you've failed. And, you know, w- when you fail, you fall harder. You don't have your parents' you know, savings to ba- fall back on. Um, you don't have people helping you out in the same way that people that with resources do. Um, the, the outage here is that, you know, once you failed two or three times, there's a tendency to give up, a tendency for all of us to give up, um, and which leads to this hopelessness and... Uh, this apathy towards, um, you know, your situation. And I I realize I'm speaking in predominantly economic terms right now. Um, And and that's on purpose. I'm not saying that economics, I'm not equating that with Christianity, but we're going somewhere with that, so bear with me. Um, But that hopelessness leads, you know, to wasted opportunities. Like maybe when when the good opportunity does come along, you know, you don't have enough energy to go up and get it anymore. You're like, I've, I've been beaten down too many times. Like, this one's not going to work out either. Um, and there's also a sense of, like, entitlement. Like, well, I'm going to sit here and collect my checks. That's my job. Um, you know, every first of the month, the government owes me money. Um, and to get, you know, comfortable with this sense of, you know, not, not working for things. Um, so, again... This is, that's next week's talk. Um, so what's the solution? Well, I, let, me, let me, sorry, give you an analogy um, to kind of bring that home, the two cycles. So imagine with me that, you know, you're 30 or 40 pounds overweight and you want to lose weight. And you have a friend that's in the same, same condition. And you both want to lose weight. You both sign up for these camps. You, you go to Camp A. And at Camp A, like, it looks like the YMCA downtown. It's beautiful. And all the people there are really fit and they're really encouraging. You know, you get to go, you take long runs down these beautiful trails. And, you know, you come out two weeks later and you've lost 10 pounds. And you're like, man, I feel good about myself. Like, I did it. I lost some weight. Um, and then your friend goes to Camp B. And Camp B is, well, we'll just say it's like the other side of Mac. <laughs> it's pingry. And your instructors aren't fit. Like, they're, all, they're like 50, 60 pounds overweight, and they're telling you, you don't really need to run, you don't really need to work on it, we're all good. Um, and that friend, you know, gains 10 pounds. Like, people are pushing Twinkies at him, and, like, he gains 10 pounds. And then you guys meet up after that two weeks, and you're like, what is wrong with you? Like, why didn't you just take advantage of that situation? Like, you were at a camp, you had people, counselors there, like, why, you, why weren't you more motivated? Why couldn't you do it? Um, and so you don't, you don't realize, you know, that the situation was different. And that average motivation in that other situation doesn't yield the same results as average motivation in your situation. Um. <laughs> Sorry, I take, I take Eric's cues. <laughs> All right, so what I, what I would propose to you the solution is, um, 
is life-transforming beliefs um, about Christ. Like, that's what we're called to, right? We're called to unity. And we're going to walk through Colossians in a second. But it's not, it's not simply conversion. It's death and rebirth. It's a new creation. It's taking Christ at his word and obeying. It's not just reading the Bible. It's doing what it says. Um, so, Christianity 101. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. So that kind of that last sentence, anger, rage, malice, that, those are the kind of thing of, things we usually think of when we think of racism, right? We think of like people actively hating each other, you know, calling each other cracker or nigger or all these other things. Like that's what we think of when we think of racism or, or even more overt acts like beatings or rapes or lynchings. Like think, those are kind of the things that come to mind. Um, that, that addresses those. It also talks about greed, which I think is actually, it leads in some ways to those other things. Like greed, which is idolatry. Like the greed of the resource people, you know, hoarding resources, leads, perpetuates those cycles and perpetuates inequalities. And inequalities drive and fuel the fire of anger, rage, malice. And notice that language, put to death. You know, when we become Christians, do we really actively think about murdering our old self? We don't. But that's what it says. I mean, justified murder, right? Execution. Um, but that's what, that's what we're called to. It's not being okay with our old self and kind of working along. No, it's like putting to death. It's gouging out the eye. You know, it's cutting off your hand. So do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Two things from here. Do not lie to each other. Um, Don't want to spend a lot of time there but realize, family, that there's no benefit to lying to the family. You won't grow. Like putting on a mask of Christianity doesn't get you Christ. And then the second thing is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. Um, you know, there's lots of things we can think of when we think of God's image. I want to talk about one and one only, um, and that is justice. Um, you won't see justice in the passage in Colossians, but you will see it a lot of other places. And I want to talk about justice because I think it's fundamental to unity. And it's also a fundamental quality of God. Psalm 89, 13 through 15 says, Your arm is endued with power, your hand is strong, your right hand exalted. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you, who walk in the light of your presence, O Lord. And the passage um, that was read earlier, um, Jeremiah 9, also mentioned justice as a foundational thing. Um, And the consequences of justice, I already kind of went through these. The lack of justice leads to gross inequalities, perpetual hate and distrust, and rejection by God. Um, So you don't see it in Colossians, but you do see it in a lot of other places. Um, I have 
a lot of passages here. We're not going to read through them. Um, those, are, those are passages taken from 11 different prophets in the Old Testament. And they're all passages that talk about the need for Israel or Judah to pursue justice and that God's impending destruction of Israel and Judah is coming because they aren't pursuing justice. And it's, you know, those are all from the Old Testament. Some people want to throw away the Old Testament, but a lot of the Old Testament, the New Testament is built on assumptions from the Old Testament. And justice is assumed in the New Testament. That's why it's not explicitly talked about very much. So there's, there's a definite call on God's people. And we as sp- spiritual Israel are, are called to these same standards. Um, so why don't we answer? Well, you know, for, for people that are resourced, you know, it's kind of easy to ignore the problem. Like, it's not our problem, right? Um, it's those people that don't have jobs. Um, and then we, we can also outsource the call. We can say, well, it's for those Mac Avers who want to be in Detroit. Um, you know, it's for the Mother Teresas of the world. You know, it's, it's, a, it's not a call that's universal. It's a, it's a call that's for specific people, which doesn't bear out in Scripture. Those calls from those prophets were not to specific people. They were to Israel. And we are Israel. And then we can shift the blame. Well, we can say, well, it's my parents' fault, or it's, you know, my granddaddy's 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 fault. And, you know... Which might be true. They might have started the problem, but there's a problem, and we're called to address it. And then we misplace our priorities. And this one, you know, all those other ones, you know, if you've been coming here for a while, you might be good on those. We don't attract very many people that don't, you know, that are ignoring problems or outsourcing or shifting the blame. What we do attract um, is people that have misplaced priorities, um, which is everywhere, like, it, that is to be a person. Um, and what, do it, what are misplaced priorities? Well, safety is one misplaced priority. I want, and I, I challenge you to go home and find in Scripture where it calls you to seek a safe life. So, and it, not just, you know, safety for ourselves, that's fine. Like maybe we get that we shouldn't be safe ourselves. But how about our kids? You know, what are we calling our kids to well, they're on, they're on the same mission that we're on. You know, are we to, where in the Bible does it say, make a safe life for your kids? Or make it so your kids go to the best schools? Yeah, so, and, yeah, we have lots of misplaced priorities. You know, we want to, we want to, save money instead of, you know, building up treasures in heaven or, you know, building money belts that won't wear out. Um, you know, we look at our 401ks, we look at our mortgages, you know, and we just have very practical thinking, which isn't necessarily kingdom thinking and often gets in the way of kingdom priorities. Um, and so, you know, what are, what are kingdom priorities? Well, we're talking about unity today. That's, that's one of them. Um, Seeing God's kingdom expanded, seeing, you know, seeing truth proclaimed um, in dark places, um, seeing, seeing justice, you know, people stand up for people that don't have voices. Those are kingdom priorities, and those supersede, you know, being close enough to your, 
grand, to your parents that your kids can be with their grandparents. It supersedes, you know, being in a school that is in the top ten of the U.S. News and World Report. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. But Christ is all and is in all. I think a lot of us struggle, and I, I certainly struggle with this, but to, to really make Christ our all. And, you know, it was in a few songs, it was in the testimony for sure. But, I mean, Christ, saying Christ is all, and especially following that other line, like Christ is more important than how black you are or how white you are or how good at your job you are or what kind of clothes you wear. And, you know, we agree with that. Like, we'll, we'll say that, of course, right? That's, that's basic Christianity. But do our lives reflect that? You know? Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Again, two things from this passage. I want you guys to really take hold of that first sentence. If you are pursuing God, you are his chosen people. You are holy and dearly loved. He has you. And as Eric was praying, he's not going to let you go. Like That was something that came up again and again in John. And the second thing is forgive as the Lord forgave you. A lot of awful, awful things have been done in America's history. And, you know, we don't want to make light of those. But, on the other hand, your sin against a holy and righteous God is far worse than anything anyone has done to you or your race. Until we get that, family, we we won't be able to forgive other people. Like, if we don't realize our sin and our need for Christ, we don't forgive others. We hold grudges. And a lot of, and, you know, a lot of us have that to deal with. We have this, we have a chip on our shoulder from past sins of people against us. And we, we have to get past that. Um, you know, it's part of the Lord's prayer. You know, it's, and it's, there's, a, there's another uh, parable in Matthew, Matthew 18, where you know, Christ says, you know, if you don't forgive as I forgave you, you have no place with me. Um, so it, it's, it's, a high, it's a high bar for sure, but um, one that we need to strive for. So let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So we're called to one body, family. 
We're called to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And I see that as kind of a purifying process. As we put ourselves into God's word and let that truth you know, wash away those, you know, those things that we're putting to death um, in, earlier past, in the earlier in the passage. Um, all right. So in summary, you know, we kind of talked about this context of a racialized society. And by racialized society, I mean one where race means something in general. Not always on the specifics, but in general, you know, under-resourced and resourced people are operating in two different cycles, and that's generally blacks and generally whites in our country, um, and especially in Detroit. Um, and we're called to put to death our old self. We're called to bear God's image. We're called to pursue our identity and unity in Christ, to forgive as Christ forgave, and to let the word dwell in us richly. So what will unity cost us? Um, you know, it's kind of a nebulous term. Um, and it, I think, you know, if you look around us, like congregations like this don't exist very many places, particularly in Detroit, um, where there's such a polarizing history. A lot of you won't be here in three years. A lot of you won't come next week, but a lot of you won't be here in three years. Um, we've seen a lot of people leave in the, the first three years. And people leave, in large part, not for places where the battle is more fierce. They don't leave for places, you know, where they're going to be more effective in God's kingdom, situations where they're going to be more effective in God's kingdom. They leave because over time, the uncomfortableness of dealing with problems, dealing with the messiness of life, people who are different than you, I mean, that weighs on you, right? That's hard. I mean, if we can be around people that agree with us, like, that's, that's nice. Like, you don't have to think that much, right? You don't have to... Lo- loving those people isn't that hard. It's like loving yourself. Um, but I challenge you, we have an opportunity in this city, in this congregation, to glorify Christ in ways that he is not often glorified, and that is by pursuing that unity. Um, you know, if we let our tendency towards comfort and being around people that sing the same songs in church as us or look like us or talk like us or have similar jobs, um, live in similar areas, we will not tell the story of Christ's unity. We will end up where most churches are today. White churches and black churches and Korean churches, that's more comfortable and that's where we end up unless we intentionally you know, stand against that status quo. Um, so I want you to imagine with me um, a different... <laughs> this is the part where I'm going to lose it. Um, a different community. Like this, this is a, a hard community family. Um, and it's hard because, you know, the crime rates are, you know, ridiculous. Like Detroit, murder capital of the U.S. several times, um, tops list of America's most dangerous city. Um, you know, we graduate, what, 30% of the people in four years that start high school or less. <laughs> um, this is not, as Eric was saying, a place that people accidentally end up. Um, it, it takes intentionality to be here.
Um, so, I mean, I think tied up with this unity idea is this social justice idea. Um, you know, it, to achieve unity, I believe that we need to address inequalities, or otherwise there's always going to be that stoking of the fire. And so, for resource people, I want you to imagine with me, you know, finally putting God ahead of everything else. You know, letting go of your excuses about, you know, well, I'm this far in my mortgage. Um, Letting go of your excuses about, you know, how could I ask my kids to change schools? I mean, going from Gross Point schools to Detroit schools. Um, Yeah, (laughs) wow. Uh, You know, and move into this community. I'm just going to put it out there. I want you to be here. I want you to live here intentionally, to choose to be here. Yeah, I want you to join our fight. Not, not to achieve gentrification, um, but I want you to be able to fight for justice in a place that is economically and racially diverse. Like, until we bring resources into this community, a lot of the cycles are going to still go on. You know, we can do corner stores, we can sell fruit, but that doesn't break a cycle. You know, open up your jobs and your networks of resources. You know, we do that. We do that with our we do that with our our friends and our neighbors as is. It's just you know, it's, you know, it's it's nice it's nice to do such things, so we do it. But if you're doing that in Gross Point versus here, you're losing out on the opportunity to bring a family that's on the financial brink, you know, of collapse you know, into a place of stability, a place where they don't have to worry about that next bill. They can listen to, you know, to God's truth and apply it to their lives. Um, that's why I think it's more important to be here spreading your networks than in a gross point or a, even a Lansing, um, where I come from. And this last one, I want you to put your kids into... into Detroit schools. And I know, like, I, I don't know why I'm crying, um, except that I feel passionately about this. I, you know, we can, we can try to guard our kids against, you know, whatever, you know, whatever psychological or emotional or, you know, even physical harm that they might be might be at increased risk for at a Nichols, you know, versus a, a, a Gross Point school. I'm sorry for Gross Pointers. That's just the closest suburb. Um, yeah, let go, let go of the excuses. You know, I have a daughter. And I would love to see her going to Nichols school in four or five years. Um, and if we do that, family, if we, if we collectively do that, you know, it might cost us something. We might have to tutor our kids a little bit more. We might have to remind them that they're worth something when they come home. You know, we might have to bandage them up a little bit. Probably not. But we might. Um, but imagine, imagine that your kids are in, in those schools. Can you sit by and mock that school anymore? Can you sit by and mock that graduation rate anymore? Or do you have to do something about it? What if, 
What if we had, I mean, all the kids in the, I don't know, what, are, what grades are there, third and fourth grade classroom? What if all those kids were in Nichols? You know, what if all those parents of those kids were on the parent-teacher association? You know, the cost to you and your kids would reap tremendous rewards for hundreds of under-resourced black kids in our community. probably enough for today. Um, <laughs> um, for the under-resource, I would, you know, I would ask you to hope, um, have hope for today and hope for tomorrow. You know, a lot of times religion is offered to under-resource people as kind of an opiate of the masses, you know, something that's pie in the sky, you know. You'll get it when you get to heaven. You'll get all that good stuff when you get to heaven. But that's not what we're asking for. That's not what God is asking us to do. There's hope for today. And, you know, despite the history of being pushed down, you know, and denied, I encourage you to work hard. You know, in, as for the Lord, the last verse says, you know, do everything as for the Lord. And I would ask you to forgive as Christ forgave. Um, I think we all need to do that, but I think it's especially hard for people that have been wronged um, for so long. So I'm going to just go through this verse in I, or these verses in Isaiah real quick, and then we'll close. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager to know for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only, for, only a day for a man to humble himself? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fast that, fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call. And the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations.
you will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. Thanks.